Now, if you would, please open your Bibles uh, to the book of Second John, which was read earlier. It's page 1025 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to use that. The book is so short that I'd like to read it again, because <laughs> I suspect it's also a book that we easily skip over, and it would do us good, I think, just to hear these words one more time. It's the book of Second John. This is the very word of the living God. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who illumines that word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the grace that is conveyed through the reading and preaching of your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would sanctify us by your truth tonight. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin tonight by giving a little quiz on Second John, since we've just heard it read twice. And uh, that is, according to the book of Second John... How does false teaching enter the church? Of course, the answer to that would be through a false teacher. But then the second question is, how does a false teacher get into the church? And to answer that question, I want to ask another question to give you a clue. It's a little bit like the old joke, how does an elephant get into your refrigerator? Of course, the answer is you open the door and you let him in. And that's exactly 
uh, what this uh, book is warning against, it's warning against giving hospitality to false teachers. Now we should enjoy this letter very much because it is truly a Presbyterian letter. It begins by saying the presbyter, the elder. And uh, we're a little unclear as to exactly uh, what uh, the author's intention is by beginning this way, but it's fairly certain uh, that he was known uh, to the audience that, uh, to whom he wrote. Um, a tradition uh, has taught us that this is the Apostle John reading, uh, writing this, and I'm not going to go into all the details as to uh, why we believe that's true. Um, but it is believed to be the Apostle John who also wrote the Gospel and the first letter of John and also the third letter. And he writes to the elect lady and her children. And again, there's been a lot of ink spilled over uh, the centuries as to who this elect lady might be. Is it an actual personal acquaintance of his, um, an individual? Or, uh, as many think, and um, I'm taking the view tonight, um, that the elect lady is referring to a particular church and the children of that lady being the members of that church. Uh, The reason I'm taking that particular view is that um, in the first several verses of uh, this book, verses one through five, when the word you is given, it's in the singular, but then after that in the book, it's in, it's in the plural. And so it's, it's quite clear um, that he's writing to uh, the church as a whole rather than simply to an individual. Now, the second reason, if you look at the very last verse, verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you, it seems pretty clear that um, that is also referring to a, a local church and the members of that church. There's various arguments that go uh, different ways, but um, many in our own tradition would, would agree that this is written to a particular church and the members of that church. And as I mentioned, uh, the concern here is to uh, warn against uh, the spreading of false teaching. So how does false teaching get into the church? Well, it comes from a false teacher. And often, uh, false teaching comes from those even who have uh, grown up uh, in the church. And they become dissatisfied um, with some aspect of the teaching of the church and they feel like they need to change it or add to it. Other times, it can come from people who grow up outside of the church, perhaps, and they bring into the church's uh, teaching some kind of alien uh, philosophy. Well, it shouldn't surprise us at all that, um, that false teachers would come along because Jesus himself warned against the possibility of false prophets coming in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about false prophets coming as wolves in uh, sheep's clothing, And John describes these uh, false teachers beginning in uh, verse seven. 
Um, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, uh, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And then he goes on to say later on uh, in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So the way that society uh, functioned in these days, the Romans had built roads all over uh, the the region in which these uh, churches uh, existed and travel was much easier than it had been and uh, a lot of the time um, there would be these traveling preachers and teachers and the hospitality that was given in a particular town uh, was very much desired because inns and such were rather disreputable places. So often people who traveled looked for a specific person uh, to stay with and um, they benefited very much uh, from the hospitality of those who would keep them. As uh, John Stott puts it in his commentary, a lot of times the function of hospitality in this age was to, to bring somebody from being a stranger to being a guest. And often uh, being a guest in someone's home uh, meant being invested uh, with the privileges of the town, uh, wherever they were staying. Uh, You might think in terms of if you um, rent an Airbnb, perhaps, uh, in in a neighborhood where there's a, a homeowners association, you get the key card to the house and you get access to the pool and the refreshment stand and whatever else is in that particular community because you happen to be staying there. Um, There was great affirmation given by the host uh, to the ones uh, who were staying there. Uh, it's, It's basically saying, this guy's with me, so he's okay. So hospitality uh, meant a lot in this particular uh, society and and privileges were extended uh, to those uh, who were being housed in homes. And it was very common for guest ministers uh, to stay uh, in, in the homes of members of the church. And of course, you remember in these days, it was also uh, common for churches to meet in homes. So it's possible even that these people whom the Apostle John is warning us against were actually staying in the church building uh, on, their, on their stays. So whenever false teachers come into a situation, they create, uh, uh, the tendency is to create a lot of chaos. It can create dissension uh, within the church and, and sometimes call into question uh, the teaching even of the leaders of the church. And such is possibly the case here. And so John tells them uh, basically three things in this letter that they need to do uh, when threatened by the possibility of false teaching. First, he tells them to stick to the truth. Second, he tells them to remember to love. And third, he teaches them how to deal with deceit. So first, we want to consider how John tells them to stick to the truth. And maybe you noticed this as we read the book. 
that the word truth is repeated several times in the first several verses. He wants the church to stick close to the truth. The antidote for false teaching is the truth. Well, why is that? Well, first of all, we learn that truth defines the church. Let's look again at verse one. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Uh, The Christians are defined here as those who know the truth. And what's he referring to when he says truth? Well, of course, it's the Christian gospel. It's Christ's teaching. And the first thing I want us to notice about this is that the Christian gospel, this truth, is something which is given that is outside of us. See, we live in a day and age where oftentimes uh, we're told by our society that you need to look inside to find the truth about who you are, that the, the, the answer is somehow within you. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that truth comes from outside of us. Indeed, uh, the Christian message is, and the biblical message is, that God has spoken. It's uh, put very beautifully in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, which is just a few pages before where we are in the scripture. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken to us and he has spoken to us, especially through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this truth defines us. We learn what the truth about the church is and we learn who the church is through the revelation that God gives. When we think about the entire story of the Bible, what does God say about the church? Well, we see this in verses like John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God creates the world and men and women fell into sin, but God himself had to provide the solution. And so he sent the Savior to win a people unto himself that would be uh, his own people. And the promise is that they would be his people, he would be their God, and he would dwell with them forever. I'm reminded of the first verse of that great hymn, the church's one foundation from heaven. He came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. This is the story of the church, and the truth defines who the church is. But the truth also guides the church. Let's look at verse two together. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. 
the truth that has been given also abides in us. It's as if we are sponges and the truth from the outside uh, as the, the gospel is pressed into us by the Holy Spirit as we read his word and hear it proclaimed, it's pressed into us and fills us. Uh, the truth becomes a, a, a part of our lives and we follow it uh, very closely. Uh, later in verse four, he says he rejoices greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. It reminds me of uh, Psalm uh, uh, 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, the truth of God guides our steps and is, is a light for the way ahead and we do well uh, to follow it rather than walk in darkness. So John tells us that truth defines the church. He teaches us that truth guides the church. And he also teaches us that truth protects the church. Verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Knowing the truth of God, of course, uh, protects us from error. Uh, we're able to discern um, the errors which come our way uh, by hearing about the truth and knowing what the Bible says. And so in the truth and in practicing and knowing the truth, uh, we receive uh, protection. Uh, secondly, uh, John not only tells us that he wants us to stick to the truth, but he also tells the church that we need to remember to love, verses five and six. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. First, we need to see that love characterizes the church. And it characterizes the church because God himself is love. And God has loved us in Christ. 1 John 4.10 and 11 and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The command to love, of course, is, is rooted in God's character himself. And so when we're commanded to love one another, uh, we become imitators of God and imitators of Christ who loved us. It was Christ himself who said in the upper room that by this uh, people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And we come to see that the truth that God has given uh, is meant to be obeyed because the church lives in relationship uh, with the Lord God. And so in order to 
love him, uh, we need to obey him. And so we see this close connection in verse six between loving God and obeying his commandments. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Love is also something which sustains and harmonizes the church. There were pressures that this church was feeling because of the false teachers. And when the church is put under pressure, a lot of the times we get at one another's faces, don't we? (laughs) We grab at one another's necks and we can become suspicious of one another. And so it's especially important when the church is under attack, when false teaching is, uh, is perhaps creeping into the church, that we remember to love one another, uh, to listen to one another, to be patient to one another, to not make assumptions about what one another are thinking. We often jump to conclusions and assume things which simply aren't true. The Apostle Paul is very helpful when he writes in Colossians 3, verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love characterizes the church and it harmonizes the church as we obey God's commands together, as we look to him to be our guide and we agree together to come under his word and be obedient to it, Uh, We love him and we love one another according to his commands. And this love is something which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So John encourages his uh, beloved uh, church to stick to the truth. He encourages them to remember to love, but then he also teaches them how to deal with deceit. So let's look again, beginning in verse seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So who are these people? Uh, It's important uh, that we know our enemies, so to speak. Uh, The first thing he says about them is they've gone out into the world. It's sad but true that oftentimes false teachers begin their life in the church and then somehow become dissatisfied and they go out. Um, in the letter of 1 John, there's an extended passage about this. 1 John uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar 
but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And what is the lie um, that John refers to? Uh, These are those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Um, the, uh, the church father, Irenaeus, uh, wrote a book called Against Heresies. And in it, he outlined uh, many of the false teaching which was present in his day and he fought against it. And uh, from his writing and other writings such as his, uh, we can get somewhat of a picture of what these people believed when they said Jesus Christ uh, did not come in the flesh. Uh, This was a religion which was highly uh, spiritualistic and dualistic. Uh, The flesh and matter were evil and spirit was good. And salvation came through a kind of a secret knowledge. Um, Actions and love don't matter so much. So it's very interesting that in the beginning of this book that, that John lays an emphasis on knowledge of the truth and also obeying God's commands and loving one another. These people were also um, uh, highly uh, ascetic. Um, They would stay away from one another and they weren't necessarily a very nice people in that sense. Um, The body was evil and uh, and Christ himself uh, did not come uh, in the flesh. Uh, They believed that um, that the vine couldn't uh, take upon itself Uh, evil flesh, uh, nor uh, could the divine die. And um, uh, I apologize, I lost my train of thought. They believed that the Messiah, that Jesus, uh, at his baptism, that the Logos descended upon the human Jesus and indwelt him. And then later on, before he was crucified, that the Logos left him, that he was not the God-man. And so this is the kind of error uh, that that John is uh, uh, wishing to to correct. Uh, We see in his first letter that he very much emphasizes the human uh, nature of, of Jesus. He talks about that which we have seen and heard, um, that which we have touched, the life that was made a manifest that we have seen and looked upon and touched uh, with our hands uh, concerning the word of life and this life which was manifest. Oh, so John is eager to emphasize that indeed the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, did come in the flesh, that in the person of Christ is perfect God and perfectly humanity in one person, two natures, a God nature and a human nature, united in one person. 
And John uh, condemns uh, this, this teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh uh, with uh, the strongest um, with the strongest uh, condemnation. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Uh, we read a portion in 1 John that said many antichrists would come, but he's identifying this teaching um, with the chief deceiver, uh, with the chief antichrist. And his warning is, watch out. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. We have to be careful uh, not to go down the path of false teaching because there's so much danger uh, which is present there. We may not win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. He does not have God. I don't think there's any sadder words in the scripture than words such as that. He does not have God. Abiding in the teaching of Christ. There's so many people in our own day that would say that there are many ways to God. When Christ himself has taught that he is the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him, they would teach us that there are ways to have God without having Christ And John is clear in this letter, as he is in his other letters and in his gospel, that he who receives Christ also receives the Father. As Jesus himself said, he he who receives my teaching uh, receives the one who sent me, my Father. And so he affirms here, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And then he warns again, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, is John teaching here that we shouldn't show Christian charity to strangers? No. He's teaching us that if someone comes as a teacher with intention to teach, (laughs) with intention to open uh, his mouth and teach the people of God, and asking for, for patronage, asking for support, asking for a voice in the church, uh, that that is to be rejected outright. How do you keep an elephant out of the refrigerator, you close the door and keep it locked tight. And that's the the advice that John is giving us here. Um, I've sometimes seen it in in the many churches where I've served that um, someone well-known 
to the church around the world is, is visiting the church. And on occasion, uh, the pastor or whoever's leading the service might draw attention to the person so that they might uh, be greeted by the congregation. Uh, the kind of thing that John is talking about this when he says don't give them any greeting. Uh, the greeting of the, ch- of the church uh, to others is as we have uh, here and other places, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. It's a, it's a Christian greeting. If a stranger to the faith came in, no matter how famous they were, and if they represented a false church, uh, say a high-ranking Mormon elder entered our church this evening, would one of our ministers stand up here and have them stand and introduce them and have us greet them? I think not, I hope not. So John is saying, don't give them any greeting. Don't receive them into your house. Uh, Don't even allow the possibility of the false teaching to enter your house. And by house here, he might not mean an individual's home, but he might mean the church itself, uh, the assembly of the people. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We become guilty by association, by affirming the person we often Uh, give the appearance that we affirm what they teach, which often can be a detriment to the church. So John has taught us that we need to look to the truth, we need to remember to love, and we need to deal with deceit. And he closes this little letter by saying, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I love the personal way that he closes this letter. I'd like to see you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The last thing I want to draw our attention to tonight is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to draw our attention to him in this way. Uh, This letter has encouraged us when faced with false teaching to look to the truth and to remember to love So I'd like us to think for just a couple minutes about our Savior, who himself was confronted with false teaching, who faced Satan himself in the wilderness, who tempted him uh, to shortcut his mission by bypassing the cross. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Show your power. Show that you're God. Show that you are 
the Messiah. Jesus replies with the word of God. He looks to the truth. You should not put your Lord, your God, to the test. He tells Satan to get behind him. He sticks to the truth of his ministry. Even when one of his own uh, disciples, when he's taught them that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be given into the hands of sinners to be crucified and after three days rise and Peter comes to him and says, God forbid that this would happen to you, Jesus. He said, get behind me, Satan. He stuck to the truth of what God had called him to do. In the garden of Gethsemane and the pain and turmoil of his, as his mind as he considered the enormity of what was going to take place and the agony of the cross and the grief of, of the, the punishment for sin that was to come upon him, which he did not deserve. He spoke to his father and said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus stuck to the truth and he looked to the truth. But Jesus also loved In the book of John, John's gospel, uh, John 13, first few verses. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world, this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, he took the towel upon himself And he knelt down and he washed their feet. He knelt down to show them, to demonstrate in a a living parable before them that he had come from heaven itself to humble himself even unto death. The Son of Man came not uh, to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When confronted by false teaching, even by Satan himself, Jesus stuck to the truth and he loved his church even unto death. Well, God help us when we're faced with false teaching to look to our Savior, to ask for help from his word, to love one another according to his commandments and to support one another until he comes to take his children home. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that Christ was obedient even unto death, the death on the cross for us and for our salvation. Lord, I pray that you would take these stammering words of mine uh, from your book of truth I pray that you would use them in our lives uh, for your honor and glory alone. In Christ's name, amen.